them were going, on, going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that has happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God, and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this, your word. God, we pray that our own eyes would be opened. And the scriptures would instruct us. And God, we pray that you would soften our hearts. We would be before you open. And God, that you would help us to truly hear, to see, to understand. We pray that our hearts would be warmed by your words, by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would transform us by it. We thank you for this, Father. Trust that you'll do it to the praise of Jesus. Amen. Uh, for the next several weeks, um, we're going to look at some stories in the Gospels post the resurrection uh, and before we move into a series on the book of Acts um, that will start uh, just before Pentecost. Um, this story in the Gospel of Luke is, is unique to the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the only one that tells this story. Um, and we, we don't know who Cleopas is. We don't know much about him. We don't know who this other person is. We don't know who this other disciple is. Um, but they're on this walk away from Jerusalem on the third day, the day of Jesus' resurrection. And the circumstances of the story are, are strange. The story itself, if you really think about it, is, is really kind of bizarre. These people are, are sad. The text itself tells us that the people are sad. Why are they sad? They're sad because they've seen Jesus crucified and they've heard what is to them is rumors that he's not in the tomb, but they've never seen 
And so John Calvin, when he's commenting on this passage, he says, uh, this godly man is caught between faith and fear. And he is doing his best to nourish his faith against the fear. And um, Jesus, the one that they are sad to miss, is there in front of them. And what's strange is that Luke is clear to tell us their eyes are prevented from seeing. That for some reason, God wants to do something, and he wants to keep their eyes closed to who Jesus is. And we might have an agenda in that moment, like these two might. You know, if you step out of the story and could ask them, what is it that you most want in this moment? They would say, to see Jesus. That's what they want. And in fact, Jesus is standing right before them. And yet, God does something so that they cannot have the thing that they most want, even though the person most able to deliver it is right before them. And so Jesus speaks to them and begins to teach them from the scriptures. Now, it's important to hear what Luke is telling you about Jesus' teaching. That Jesus teaches from the law and the prophets. And for a long time, throughout the entirety of the church's history, including and especially today, people have been tempted to say, the Old Testament is old. You know, it's, 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 out, of, it's out of date. It's dusty. We don't need it anymore. Now we have the new one. And Jesus is not of that same conviction. He's, he's clear in his teaching that he has not come to erase the law in the, in the slightest, but to fulfill it. And here, in fact, he opens the law and the prophets and teaches them to read and understand and trust it with him at the center. He actually shows them how the law and the prophets is, in fact, about himself. Uh, I teach Old Testament survey in Montreat. And then when I get to New Testament survey, uh, and I come to this passage, I tell my students personally, as a professor, I would like to know more about what was said here. Because this is apparently the greatest Old Testament lecture of all time. I, I would very much like to know the details of Jesus' instruction and interpretation of the law and the prophets. But isn't it fascinating that we apparently don't need to know the full substance of that teaching. We don't need an extended quotation of that teaching. Luke, sort of in passing, tells you broadly what Jesus had done and doesn't give you the details of the teaching itself. Why? Why is that? It's, it's incredibly odd. We often are in the same position as Cleopas and the other disciple, where we have some specific thoughts on what God should be doing in the world and how he should be doing it. But the story here of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus is fresh reminder that we often have no real sense of what it is that God should do. That we often have a list of demands for God and he is working outside that list of demands. In the moment, these people are still distraught. Now, Jesus is teaching them why they should trust. 
He's opening the scriptures to them and saying, comforting them by the content of the scriptures themselves and telling them why they should take heart. And again, as he's doing that, all he would need to do is open their eyes and say, I'm here, I'm alive, don't be sad anymore. But instead he teaches them why they ought to trust that God is doing something, that he is up to things. You and I have, for the past year, have been in the midst of a very confusing season of life. And you and I should probably spend some time reflecting, not just about this year, but the entirety of our lives, and the degree to which we often miss what God is doing. We, we are often disappointed with God because He has not done A, B, or C. We think we've been ignored or unheard. And the truth is, we probably are just not understanding what he actually has been actively doing. And we have no idea what the rest of the picture is. The picture will be completed momentarily for these disciples. But for us, sometimes these seasons of misunderstanding what God is doing, or or walking with him in disappointment or in the darkness of our confusion can stretch out over the course of a month, a year, decades. For these disciples, it's a a momentary resolution. They they are turning aside to, to where they're going, and they invite Jesus to stay with them. And Luke says that Jesus sits to eat with them And he takes the bread in his crucified hands. And he does this thing where where he takes it up, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And this is the exact same language almost that Luke uses in Luke chapter 22 at the institution of the Lord's Supper. The same order of, of actions. He takes up the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it. And when Jesus here with these two disciples does the same thing, he takes it up, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. Their eyes are instantly opened. And they recognize who Jesus is when they see the broken bread in his crucified hands. And now all of the things that Jesus has been doing on the road with them, depositing in them, is now touched with fire. And they recognized the teaching that they were receiving was actually the thing that they needed. That Jesus was teaching them to trust and then demonstrating the fulfillment of their trust. As the crucified God, who the law and the prophets had pointed to, sat before them as the resurrected Lord. And then Jesus vanishes. Once again completely confounding, I would imagine, their desires. In that moment now, the thing that these people wanted to be with Jesus is they are at the table with him. They finally see him and they recognize him. And in that moment, Jesus disappears. Because Jesus has done the thing that he wanted to do, which is, again, not precisely matching up with their agenda. I imagine what they wanted him was was a long feast with him, a long night with him, a long conversation with him. And Jesus says, you have what you needed to have, and he's gone. And isn't that the way of God in the world? 
God, God is much more uh, appealing to us when he fits in our little boxes and obeys us as if we are his master. And what Jesus will refuse to do in the Gospels is to be mastered to anyone, is to be mastered by anyone, but instead to be mastered to all. He refuses the boundaries of our own expectations, often willing to disappoint us, often walking with us in the darkness and the grief of disappointment, but only ever to give us something better that we, we didn't have the wisdom to ask for. In this season of your life, you are being invited by the scriptures to do the same thing that Jesus taught these disciples to do. To trust him. To understand that God has always been pointing to this movement where the incarnate God would be crucified and resurrected. And he is trustworthy even when he's not giving you the thing or doing the thing that he wants And in the darkness of your own confusion, God is still with you on the way. And you may not even yet recognize what he has done, what he has taught you, that he is there with you. But he has given you a sign to see and to remember that the blaze in your heart might not go out. When we come to the table every week as a people, We are seeing the broken, open bits of bread and being called to remember, to partake by the power of the Holy Spirit and to feast on the sign of God's covenantal love in the world. And like these same two disciples, like Cleopas and whoever this was, we are left at the table sort of leaning forward in expectation. When you and I come to the table every week, we are meant to take joy in what God has done for us. But it is also a future-facing moment. Because there will be a conclusion, a resolution to this story, where Jesus no longer vanishes from the table. That he will instead pull out the chair. And he will sit, and he will feast with his people forever. So the table is meant for you and I to come to it and both be fed and to be made more hungry. It is to confess that all our hopes can only ever be in Jesus, who is not our servant, but our master, who is at work in the world, and he and he alone will sustain his people even in the midst of darkness, confusion, and disappointment. And one day, one day, you and I will see him clearly with unveiled faces. And in that moment, when we can truly see and our vision is fully corrected, we will, like these disciples, also be able to see there was God the whole time doing more than I ever thought he was doing, more than I could have asked or imagined. So if you are here today and you are feeling the weight of a disrupted life, the confusion of a, of a COVID-written world, and if you don't even, you're not even dealing with a pandemic, if you are in the midst of a confused and darkened existence, Jesus 
has come and is coming for you. And he wants you to see him. The incarnate God, crucified and resurrected. And today, if if you are tired and weary and you have given up hope, one, take heart. Beloved, he has not abandoned you. He's done something different and maybe painful and confusing, but he has not abandoned you. And if you can honestly recognize and confess, I've actually been putting my hope in lots of other places. Today is the day to to bring those to Jesus and to say, though you've seemingly in, in some ways visually vanished from the table, I know by the power of your spirit that you would never leave me. And I want you to have these things where I have otherwise put my hope. I I don't even know what it is in fullness that you'll give me, but it's better than these things that I've clung to. And God is patient with you. He is kind. He is good to you. And he will embrace you and bring you home. Today, we want to actually believe the thing that we sang earlier. There's nothing better than you. And we look forward to the day when we will see him face to face and have all our hopes confirmed. Until that day, we trust that the sparks of God's life, the fire that's kindled within us, will be sustained into life and one day burst into flames so that both we and the whole world will be consumed by the fire of God's presence. And we will be remade and see him healed and whole, finally free at his table forever. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we can be people honestly caught between faith and fear. And you'll be gentle with us and kind. And Father, uh, I pray for those who are weary this morning that, that have perhaps given up hope. Father, I pray that you would help them to remember what it is the scriptures have taught them about what you are doing in the world, that they'd be able to see the table and touch it and remember what it's like that your own hands broke the bread and passed it to your people. Pray that you would sustain them and help them to trust. And Father, I pray for those who are here today who have never put their hope in you, who have put their hope in themselves, their own strength, the things they could understand, they could see and control. And Father, I pray that you would help them today to just let go of those things, to turn and to repent, to come home, just to turn around and go the other direction. And find you meeting them there on the road, ready to welcome them. We're so grateful for your faithfulness, Lord God. We're so grateful for your love. And Father, we trust you to sustain us until the very end. We look forward to the day when feasting has no end. And we sit with you at that table always. Amen.